Welcome back to the Fitness Simplified Podcast. I'm Kim Schlag, I'm your host, and I am super excited about today's episode. On today's episode, I have Jordan Syatt. He's a five-time world record powerlifter. He is Gary Vaynerchuk's coach. He travels the world with Gary, getting him out of pain, getting him super strong, getting him jacked. He has helped literally hundreds, if not thousands of people get amazing results, whether that's losing fat, getting defined, improving their relationship with food, or getting insanely strong. I've had the privilege of being coached by Jay the past couple of years. He's my powerlifting coach. He's my business coach. He's a dear friend. And on today's episode, we go over five lessons that I have learned from him. Whether you're interested in fat loss or how to build an online business, being a better coach or increasing your deadlift, we've got some good stuff here for you today. One of the most important things we talk about is if you are tired of starting over, how you can never start over again. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm well. Good morning. What are you up to? Um, I'm up to talking to you and then I'm deadlifting. Oh, deadlift day. So it's a good day. It's a good day. How about you? What are you doing? I'm just chilling. I'm making some coffee. I'm getting some Instagram posts ready. I am, uh, I'm now doing... where are you, where are you What's calling that? from? Are you home? Yeah, I'm, I'm in my apartment. I'm in New York. You're in New York. Is, is Rico with you? Rico's right here. Rico, this is Kim. Hey, Rico. I feel like I know you already from Instagram. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so Rico is actually getting me to rethink my position on cannolis. So I'm Italian, but I've always kind of felt like meh about cannoli. Like, eh. I, I'm with you, to be honest. They're not you know? <laughs> But I keep looking at all these pictures of you know, all his videos of cannoli. I'm like, have I, have I had this all wrong? Maybe I just haven't tried the right cannoli. Well, let me say this, because I, I had a conversation with this, uh, with Diana about this recently. I'm, I would, like, way rather have carrot cake than cannolis. That's oh, just, well, like, that's if it had that. really good cream cheese frosting, I would go for the carrot cake, for sure. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. The cream cheese frosting is, where, is like, the whole point of it. That's like, the whole point. It really is. Like, I would just eat cream cheese. <laughs> <laughs> just a whole bar of cream cheese. Just, just, just start, the, the start gnawing cheese. on that. <laughs> <laughs> and put some sugar on it. Yeah, it's my version of carrot cake. A <laughs> couple of chocolate chips in there. <laughs> now, I know you have been on a lot of podcasts. I know because I have probably listened to all of them. I've done a couple. I've done a, a couple. couple. <laughs> a couple hundred. <laughs> and so you have quite the life story and you've retold it a lot on those podcasts. So that's not where I want us to go today. I have something else planned. But before we do that, why don't you and I will I'll, I'll do a little intro that kind of hits some of the highlights of who you are. But why don't you start by telling us maybe like four things, four bullet points people need to know about Jordan Syatt? Four bullet points. Oh, man. Okay. Well, let's see. I am, I grew up as a wrestler. We'll say that. And that's how I got into fitness. So, and from there, I ended up getting my first job as a personal trainer when I was 14. Um, and so really, it started, I was really fortunate just at a young age to get really involved with a science-based fitness. I didn't spend too much time with a lot of the, the nonsense, which is really fortunate for me. Uh, what else? I, I 
between high school and college, I took a year off and I went to the Middle East, traveled. I lived in Israel for a year. Uh, I was a high competitive, high, high, uh, high competitive powerlifter. And uh, that's really how I sort of got my start in the fitness industry. So I got kickstarted. I trained at this place called Westside Barbell. I did really well, fortunately. Uh, and that's sort of how I like started to make a name for myself in the industry. And then now I coach Gary Vaynerchuk. So that's four bullet points. That's four bullet points. And you really like coffee and unicorns and Harry Potter. Three that's more. The, the, the fifth <laughs> bullet point is the bonus. Coffee and unicorns and Harry Potter. Huge, huge, huge Harry Potter. Name. <laughs> and it's funny because uh, I think powerlifting is what gave me like an end to the fitness industry with people. But Harry Potter is what let people in more with me, if that makes sense. It's like powerlifting got me involved and like let yes. people know who I was. Harry Potter let people like get relate more to me and understand that like you know once I, I built an audience it was my way of connecting with people yes I can see that I don't know the first thing about her everything I know about Harry Potter I've learned from my daughter and from you your post <laughs> half the time when I'm reading your post I don't know what a large majority of the words mean but I like them and I don't even know anything about Harry Potter so you've got to read those books can't it's uh, you've already got me life. started on them I'm on number two remember you told me I had to read them to be a better writer so I'm that's on that's exactly right wait, wait uh, how did you like the first book it was good. It's good. And they get yeah. better. They get better. It is like it, way better as it goes. It gets like much more the story like really progresses and a lot of it ties back into things that like you read and you wouldn't even think about. I'm actually really excited for you to hear uh, for you to like to hear how they go. Well, I kind of heard the whole story through my daughter as she was reading them. She would kind of tell me parts, but it's not quite the same. So I will read them all here eventually. So I really believe in the importance of a good coach. Like I, I think the power of good coaching is really incredible. And I have had for the past couple of years, the good fortune to be coached by you on many different things, powerlifting, nutrition, business, writing, coaching, Harry Potter, all that stuff. And so today I have sifted through my big book of unicorn knowledge and come up with some of the best things I think you have taught me. And I'm going to use your words, and then we're going to kind of jam on those things. Let's do it. I love it. All right. So number one, and this is one we've talked about a ton, um, and this is a lesson that you learned from someone else. Letting your emotions dictate your actions is the greatest sign of weakness. So talk to us about that. What were the circumstances in your life when you were given that advice, and how did it impact you? That's a really wonderful question. So... <laughs> So the person who said that to me was Gary Vaynerchuk and I'm trying to remember because he, he said it to me a number of times, but I believe the circumstance that I first heard it from him, uh, we were talking about, about, I, I asked him, I was like, do you ever get hate from people like in your comment section? Like, do you ever let like people like get, they say mean things or they, whatever. And, uh, like, does it piss you off? And he, and he was like, I get hate all the time. And he got up and he showed me stuff. He showed me stuff where people were like saying like anti-Semitic stuff to him on his comments. Just like just the most outrageous stuff and things that were just blatant lies. People like making assumptions about him, just being like mm -hmm. super, um, the super, like, they would make assumptions. They, uh, the, the stuff that they would say, I, I couldn't imagine actually anybody saying in real life. Um, and I was like, do you get pissed about it? And, and he was like, no, not really. And I, I didn't believe him. I was, I thought he was lying. I thought he was just like saying, but like now I know it's true. And basically 
it, it came down to essentially, I, I was like, well, because like, I, at a point, would like, if someone said something like that, I would lose my shit. And then I would like DM the person, I'd like comment on their stuff, and I'd go after them. Uh, it would take, a, it would ruin my day. Like, my content for the day was done, emails for the day was done. It was like my entire day would, would be just ruined because I spent so long trying to like get to that person. And he was mm-hmm. the, the, then, um, the response was letting your emotions dictate your actions is the greatest sign of weakness, especially in business where it's just like, look at, listen to what I said. Like I let one person who I don't even know who they are, what they do or what they're going through in life. I let them negatively impact me so much that the rest of my day was ruined. Contact with my clients was ruined. Contact with my audience on social media was ruined. It was just like, why would you like you let something that happened to you? Like, so what someone else said who you don't even know, like, why would that you let that ruin everything else that you're doing? It's a waste of time, a waste of energy. He's like, it's okay to have these emotions. It's not okay to let them dictate everything that you're doing and, effect- and negatively affecting you. I think that's such an important part. It's not that you can't feel the emotions. You're not saying, like, stuff the emotions. You can't have them. But, you know, have the emotions, but still base your decisions on facts and on logic and on what you want to achieve while you're feeling the feelings. And that's been really, that's been really huge for me. You gave me this advice in relation to lifting um, when I got really upset about something that happened right before a meet. And I was being very illogical and emotional about what I wanted to do. Well, so wait, what happened? So this was last year when I discovered a week before my meet. I I, I know you, I know you. (laughs) (laughs) There's no way you don't remember. I was slightly hysterical that I discovered that my bar that I'd always trained with, I'd, I'd just gotten this bar secondhand. I discovered in just a weird twist of fate. I don't even know why I remembered why I weighed it, but I realized it was seven <laughs> pounds lighter. Don't laugh at me, Jay. I, it was seven pounds lighter than it was supposed to be. And I was really psyched about getting this 200 pound squat. And in my mind, this just was it. Like there was no way I was getting a 200 pound squat now the week after. And um, this is what you told me. I don't know what I expected you to say, but this is what you told me. And I got myself together and I still squatted 200 pounds a week there later. You, you know, I love, well, so you know, what, why did that hit home with you so much? Because for me, like the logical thing to do was be super emotional. Like all was lost. There's nothing I can do. And you went through point by point about the fact that, you know, not every bar in every gym across America is exactly the same. Like, this is fine. And you're like, this, you're going to show up at meets and things aren't going to go well. There are going to be things that are going to be different. You've trained for this and you're fine. And so hearing the facts versus just feeling the emotion of frustration of how did I let this happen? You see what I'm saying? Like, why didn't I know this before? I just really wanted to follow the emotions of where it was at in that moment, which was this really sucks. What was me? And I didn't because this there, I had two choices. I was either going to follow those emotions and kind of lose my lose my chance to do what I'd been working for for six months, or I was going to try something else this time. And I did. I tried to just set the emotions aside and make my decisions about what I was going to do with them based on the facts of the situation instead of my distress. I love that. I love it. Now, even though it was, you gave that to me in that situation about lifting, I've used it exactly in the situation you said, you know, when I've been picked on by angry vegans and it started to ruin, <laughs> that happens to me quite a bit. Um, you know, so I feel like it does apply broadly, you know, not just in lifting and just in business, but in all situations, you know, feel what you're feeling, but 
you got to base your what you're going to do on logic and fact. A hundred percent. I get annoyed when people are like, well, don't be sad or don't be angry. It's like, listen, you're more than welcome to be sad. It's normal and you should have those emotions. Issues arise when you allow those emotions to control your actions and negatively affect what you're doing and like the things that you could be doing to help yourself and help other people. Yes, exactly. Exactly. All right. So this next one, I'm going to, I'm going to say this in a more delicate manner than you say it but you you, <laughs> that you get to talk like you talk though so my very first week coaching under you you sent me your um nutrition course first video in the nutrition course you can't mess this up why is that the first thing that you teach your clients about nutrition that is uh a misquote it's actually you can't fuck this up i just said i was saying it more <laughs> <laughs> you know I don't talk that way. <laughs> that was so funny. You know I don't talk that way. <laughs> um, well, it's the most important thing for a number of reasons. Um, and it's something that it took me a while to like, it took me a while to realize why people weren't succeeding with their fitness goals right so it's like when you first get into fitness and you and you start like getting really passionate about it you sort of like well what's you want to know what's best like what's the Mm -hmm. best nutrition program what's the best exercise what's the best workout what's the best what's the best what's the because in 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 our mind it's like all we need is the best and then we'll do it and then we'll get the best results and if you really look at what's going on it's not that people don't have the best program it's that people aren't doing whatever program they're on consistently like and i'm a big believer in like you could do like the best program followed inconsistently like the absolute best most incredible amazing program followed inconsistently will have worse results than a decently okay program followed very consistently Mm -hmm. um and i realized that people just weren't weren't following through they weren't doing it and it it wasn't necessarily out of laziness it wasn't necessarily Mm -hmm. out of anything like that it's like a lot of the times they would be let's say let's say they're trying calorie counting let's say they're doing weight watchers let's say they're doing keto or whatever it is they're doing they would do it and then they would in in their mind they would slip up they would fuck up they'd make a mistake if they were if they maybe they went they ate too many calories or maybe like if they were doing keto they ended up having a bunch of carbs or if they were doing weight watchers they had too many points whatever it is they were doing they did something that wasn't on plan and in their mind they screwed up and once they had screwed up they're like well what's the point i might as well just like go completely off track and that could be for a weekend it could be for a week, it could be for a month, it could be for a year, but that one point in which they think that they mess up, that's the trigger for them to go off track. And I realized that I, 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 it all happens with one client, right? Coaching makes you a better coach, makes you understand more. And I remember just with one client, I was like, listen, like you can't fuck this up. Like you, you can't because you just get back on track. And there were, I remember their response, they were crying. They were like, this is so, and like what you said to me is really important. It really helped. And I started to think about that. And that's when I added it to the video course and all that. And it was the first video before I send any, uh, the more like nutritional informational videos before I send them any information in terms of about what their program is. It's more just like above all else, come back to this and know that you can't fuck up because you really can't as long as you just get back on track. And um, that's really the most important thing for people to know, because once people have the confidence in themselves to know that 
it you can't screw up you can't mess up then all mm-hmm. of a sudden when before they might have thought that they messed up they, they might have thought that something was bad they might they and then, then they would have gone off for a week or a month or whatever now that doesn't happen and then they get back on track and then progress continues rather than that perpetuating cycle of like self-sabotage yeah which can go on for a really long time you know, my best friend right now she's 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 working with me and um she has been a lifelong dieter and really struggles with this messing up. And so we repeat this over and over. And just recently she, you know, after the holidays and she'd done a bunch of travel and she just felt like she had dug herself into such a big hole. And we talked about how she can't mess up. And I said, you know, what are you, what's your other choice? What's your other choice? If you believe that you've messed up, what are you going to do? She's like, well, I guess I'll just give up for a while. And I said, what's going <laughs> to happen? I just like, I'm like, what's going to happen in a few months? And she's like, well, I'm going to start all over. I said, what if you decide right now that you haven't messed up and you just start doing all the things you were doing that were working really well a few weeks ago? And it's a really different way of looking at things for most people because we naturally want to go to like, well, I screwed up and there's nothing I can do. And it's just easier in that moment to just keep kind of sliding down that mountain of I screwed up. And so I guess it's, I guess it's done for now. When in yes. reality, we're going to find ourselves right back where we where we were before starting over. And that starting over is so hard. It's, you know, it's interesting. The uh, I'm glad that you said that because that's something that more recently I've been thinking a lot about is that starting over. And this is like another thing I've picked up on really just in the last couple of weeks, this idea of starting over. And it's, a, it's a, something that people really struggle with. In the, in the last 48 hours, I got two different messages from two different people basically being like, I've been out of the gym for a whole week because I was sick. Literally, that's their words. And it's important like to emphasize that. I've been out of the gym for a whole week because I was sick. Uh, how do you recommend that I, that I get back in there? Because like, I feel like I'm starting all over. And it was, it's just a really big, people have said stuff like this to me before. And it's always like almost gotten under my skin. I'm like, a whole week, number one, like, God forbid you take a week off. <laughs> number two is, what do you mean you're starting over? And, and it's something, because I can't think of another situation in life in which people take a week off and then make a comparison to the idea that they're starting all over. It's right. like when you take a week off of work for a vacation, you don't go back in being like, oh, man, I'm starting all over again. Like, <laughs> like you pick up where you left off. When you take a summer vacation off of school, you're not like, oh, fuck, I'm starting all over again. Even though, like, you're rusty with the math and, like, you need to get back into it again. It's not like you're st- – it's like you pick back up. And there's a there's a, maybe some time for uh, reacclimation and adjusting. But it's not starting over. It's just picking back up. And then I – it, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's so important. It's like that's the idea of – the reason starting over is so difficult for people is because they they consider it like they're starting from ground zero and it's like it's a completely like there's they lost all their progress like you didn't lose all your progress go back for a week and then you'll have everything back again just that first week is not going to be as easy as it was and that's okay just like get in there that that's always my advice is like fucking go like that's it just, just do go. it it's you know what i mean it's like yeah for sure people get so wrapped up in this idea of 
people go they they want to always be at their absolute best at their peak at like their their leanest their strongest yeah if they have a day in the gym where they're not their strongest or they have a day like where they, they don't look like they're absolute leanest then in their mind it's a failure it's like you, there's going to be fluctuations up and down in everything and if you're always expecting the absolute best out of yourself like the best of the best of the best then you're setting yourself up for failure and so don't think about it as starting over, but just picking back up where you left off. It's exactly right. That's really important. It's really important. It feels way less daunting to just pick back up. You know, and people in reality, if you have stopped whatever you were doing, it's not like you lost all the skills that you had practiced. I mean, losing weight, there's so much skill to nutrition and, you know, so much that you learn. It's not like you lost it all because you didn't do it for a few weeks. It's still there. Like you said, it might be rusty, just like if you're restarting school in the fall, but it's still there. It's exactly right. It's still there. And it's, you, you didn't lose all your, even like, and I always like go back to this as well. Like, let's say you did lose all your progress. Let's just say, like, which you know you didn't, but let's just say you did. Now what? Like, does that just mean like you won't start again? You're just not going to do it anymore because you lost it all? Like, oh, yeah. well, fuck it. I guess I'll just completely stop for the rest of my life now. Like, <laughs> Like worst comes to worst, you lost all your progress. Cool. Now what? It's like you can sit there and fucking complain, or you can start over again. And like that's worst case scenario. I mean, and that's just not true. It doesn't happen. Like you, no one yeah. loses all of their progress unless you have some like awful, awful disease. And even then, there are people who have terrible diseases. There are people who like lose limbs mm-hmm. who still get back mm-hmm. in the gym. Who it's like. God forbid you take a fucking week for vacation or you got a head cold and you take like, really, like, come on, like, let's have some fucking like practicality. You know, and I think a lot of, don't you think a lot of that comes back to, we just, we want results right now. And it feels like such a huge setback, like a whole week off. Like it feels like I'm so much further from where I want to be. You know, it's that, that, that like having that set end point of like, I wanted to have lost X number of pounds, by X number of date. And now I'm a week behind. Yeah, and, but it's, and it's, I think that's exactly right. And I think it's all arbitrary. It's all yeah, made up. It's not sure. from any, it's not from any semblance of a um, science base, like, okay, well, this would be like a realistic, great rate of progress. This is like, well, I want to lose 20 pounds in the next month. And if I don't, then it's a failure. It's like, that is the dumbest thing you could have ever said. Like, why would you make that? Why would you say 20 pounds? And it's not, I didn't make that up. Like I've had people say that. It's like, yeah. why would you say that 20 pounds the next month? Cause then what will happen is they'll make this completely unrealistic, like goal, 20 pounds the next month. Then they'll be super into it for the first like one to two weeks. Then they'll get two weeks in and let's say they've lost like six pounds, which would be incredible in two weeks, just like crazy. But it's in based on the goal that they set arbitrarily. It's like mm-hmm. they're not even halfway there. So then they give up. It's like, well, if you actually just look at how much progress you made in those two weeks, that's like quadruple the amount of what would be already amazing progress. Right. Like if you just kept going, you would have done amazing. But because you set this completely unrealistic expectation on yourself that like that you made up no, that you made up, there's no basis on it as it being good, then that's why people give up because they have this complete, they don't say if it was a friend of theirs, if a friend said, wow, I lost six pounds in two weeks, they'd be like, Oh my God, that's amazing. 
but for themselves they're like well I didn't lose as much as I want so it's clearly yeah not could you working. imagine saying to their friend well that's really not enough yeah it's that's, like well why haven't you lost 10 yet don't you want to lose yeah. 20 in the next like what's going on it's yeah like, that's not the right speed you know it's just if people speak to themselves in a very illogical very emotional way and they treat their friends with much more logic and compassion and if you start treating yourself like you would treat a friend then you'd probably start seeing much better results and on that front most people don't treat their the, their worst enemies as bad as they treat themselves. So like most that people are much more polite true. to their worst enemy than they are to themselves. That is 100% true. Yeah, and if you have kids, I like to tell people, you know, talk to yourself the way you talk to your kids. Like when my kids do something that, you know, when they mess up, I would never in a million years, you know, when they were down, think about pushing them down further and being like, well, you're all, you screwed that up now. You're never going to be able to fix that, you know, and yet, we talk to ourselves that way all the time. It's crazy. It really is very interesting how that works. It's yeah, it's sad. And I think it takes practice. It takes practice to stop doing that. If that's how you talk to yourself, it takes, it takes time and practice, but it can be learned. I I, I used to talk to myself like that all the time. That was for sure. That was my default. Absolutely. It takes practice and it takes the will. Number one, the conscious awareness to like pay attention to it. Um, I think a lot of people do it very unconsciously. It's their default. It's what they do without thinking. And it's why a lot of people are very unhappy because their default is just to speak negatively about themselves and they literally don't even realize it. So to be consciously aware of what you're doing, what you're saying, how you're thinking, how you're feeling, all this stuff. And the really the best way to do that is to, if you don't have someone calling you out on it, to start by literally saying stuff out loud to yourself like talk yeah and like if you're if you're feeling anxious and this is something that I still do to this day if you're feeling anxious if you're feeling worried there the reason for it is often that you're projecting a, about a future outcome that has not yet happened that you like anxiety tends to tends to stem from this worry of a future event that will happen that you're making up in your head and give us an example of that um Let's see. So like, um, okay, here's a good one. Here's a, the, everyone, basically everyone will be able to relate to this. Mo- most people at some point in their life have been involved in a relationship with a significant other that they were ready to break up with them. They, were, they knew that it had to end and they knew it was mm-hmm. going to end, but they were really worried about the outcome of the breakup and they, they didn't want to break up with them. Like they, they wanted to, but they were scared mm-hmm. to, and they stayed in it longer than they should. And mm-hmm. They stayed in it longer than they should. And then when they eventually, when it eventually happened, when the breakup happened, yes, it was difficult, but it felt like, ah, like a huge weight was lifted off their shoulder. Like it's done. I did it. It's over. Thank God. Like yeah. I still like, I love that person. I appreciate them, but like this had to be done. But, and the worst part of it is the lead up to it. Mm-hmm. It's just like, but the reality is like, if for me, if, if I'm having anxiety about something, I'll literally talk to myself and I'll, all I do is explain the situation out loud. I just, and like people will be like, wow, you're a fucking crazy person. But <laughs> all, if you just explain the situation out loud, then, cause here's, here's what people do. A lot of times people, if, if you're having anxiety or something and, and a friend is talking to you and they're like, just tell me, like, tell me what's going on. Usually one of the first things that people will say is, okay, well, this is going to sound crazy, but, and like, they do that because as soon as they start to verbalize it, they realize it sounds fucking ridiculous. It's all emotional. It's not logical. And so when they're like, well, I know this sounds crazy, but here's what's going on. And they explain it like, I know, I know it sounds ridiculous. It sounds ridiculous. (laughs) But it's like, 
yeah, it sounds ridiculous because it's basing all on emotion. I mean, you keep it locked mm-hmm. up inside, you're just brewing in a pot of emotions. And once you let it out verbally and you can hear it and then it can become logical, the anxiety goes away. That's why a lot of times talking with a friend or with a therapist is so helpful. Is that because there's magic in the air? It's because you're, you're speaking and you're making things that were emotional logical. Absolutely. Because how often have you had that experience where you, you talk to a friend like that and then after you say what you need to say, they don't even give you any advice and you're like, I feel so much better. Yeah, you're I like, feel so much better. Listening. Thanks for <laughs> listening didn't, they didn't to me say talk anything. for 30 minutes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. I'm a big fan of talking out loud in all kinds of situations, like to myself. I think it really does help. Yeah. But it's better. It's better. It's better if I'm at home alone, but yeah, I mean, doing dishes, like, I'll do it when I'm lifting weights. If I'm, like, deadlifting or whatever, I'll just talk. Like, yeah. if I'm getting, like, if I got upset about something I'll, and I go and I'm lifting, I'll just talk about it to myself while I'm lifting. And, like, it makes my lifting better. It makes me feel better. It's, it's like, it's super, super important. 100%. I do that all the time. All the time. Okay, so let's talk um, next. Let's switch gears and talk a little bit about business. So, online business. So, I attribute a great part the success I've had in building an audience to one particular conversation that we had. Um, I have, people talk to me a lot. They DM me a lot. They want to know like, well, how did you, how did you like build your account so big? And this is the exact advice I give them. It's exact advice you gave me. And it was one of those conversations. You ever have these conversations where like it ended up being so important that you remember like the super, super small details. Like I remember what I was wearing when we, I remember the shirt (laughs) I was wearing. I was wearing this blue and gray striped shirt. I remember the table we were sitting at in the diner. I remember we were eating a Greek salad and that a homeless man came up and showed us his abs right before, right before before I asked you this question and told us about his ab routine. And then I told you that I was thinking about moving my business online, that I had one online client that just kind of happened. And I said, you know, if I decide to do that, like, what do you think I should do? Like, what, what would I, what would be helpful? And these are the things you told me, there's going to be five and then we'll, we'll go back and talk about them. So this is what you told me. You said, always keep helping people as your number one goal and you can't lose. Provide useful content that's actionable. Be consistent. Post every day, two times a day, minimum. Three times is better. The caption is hugely important. Max it out with useful useful stuff as often as possible. And then the last one is a a really technical one, but it really did help a lot. If you're going to make infographics, make those titles big enough to be read in the Explore tab. And so that's what I did. I started with 260 followers and in five months I had 10,000 and that's literally the only advice you gave me. And how so, many do you have now? Almost 60. 60 thought. That's amazing. Wow. Almost 60 and we're a year and a quarter past one. Yeah. About a year and a quarter past that year and a half past that. That's amazing. Yeah. And what, you know, and you and I, after that point, we didn't talk for a good six months about me and online business. I literally just did that. That's what I did every day. So talk to me about some of those things. Talk to me about the first one. Always keep helping people as your number one goal and you can't lose. Well, there's a lot, that's, there's a lot behind that statement. Um, that was the first piece of advice in a roundabout way that I got when I started creating content online in, in 2011. So I started my website in 2011 and um I actually didn't even start it. What happened was I was training at Westside Barbell, which is uh, is the strongest gym in the world. Their weakest guy squats 800 pounds. Uh, and I was invited to train there. And 
it, it's a bit, it was a big deal. Like to train at Westside was, was not a common thing. It's a, it's almost like a very, a mythical place. Like very few people have ever been. And one of my mentors at the time found out I was at Westside and he was like, we got to get you a website because Instagram wasn't around then. It wasn't a thing. And, um, Cause like we got, at that point blogging, writing articles was like the most important way to communicate with people. And I was like, cool, but I didn't do anything. I was, I was a kid. I was like 20 years old and I didn't know anything. And I, I was like, cool, that's whatever. And so eventually he just bought my website. He bought sciatfitness.com and like got the hosting. And then he, he emailed me and transferred me all of the information. He was like, go like start writing. And I was like, what do I write? And he was just like, all he said he just said content is king it's all it's literally he was like just whatever it is you're learning whatever it is you're you're experiencing just content is king above all else and it was really fortunate because he didn't push anything on me in terms of like how to make money or how to get more clients like i when this happened when when he transferred all this to me and gave me that advice content is king it wasn't from a business perspective. I didn't realize that it could be a business. I didn't know that I could make money from it. It was literally just content is king. And keeping that as at the forefront of my mind above all else, it just allowed me to do what I love to do, which was work out and eat well and help other people. And there was no external pressure on myself to make a certain amount of money or to have a certain amount of clients or to do anything. It was literally just help, help, help help and in the process i created hundreds and hundreds of articles and i built up a, an audience uh, of people who were really enjoying my work um and i didn't have any stress about it because i wasn't like i wasn't well i'm not making this amount of money yet or i'm not make, getting this amount of clients it's uh, sort of a lot of people who struggle with building a business they struggle with people they struggle in the same way that people do with losing weight right people mm -hmm. are like well i haven't lost 15 pounds yet i haven't lost 20 pounds yet it's like well i haven't got five clients yet i'm not making a thousand dollars a month yet type thing it's like why are you making that your goal why are you putting so much emphasis on this thousand dollar a month or why are you putting emphasis on like having so many clients why not just do like focus on the process helping people and eventually that will come in the same way that people who need losing weight like focus on like hitting your calories getting your protein in like feel like feel good, all this stuff, do the right habits, and then everything will come rather than focusing on this number that is just mm -hmm. going to fluctuate. It's not like an, an end-all, be-all. And so that's where it really came from with me is just like giving away good content. And any time in my career that I've put more focus or emphasis on, uh, on making money or getting more clients, I've number one, I've been less happy. I've gotten more stressed. I've gotten more anxiety. I haven't enjoyed what I was doing because there's always – this essentially this back end um, intent, right? It was like, well, I'm going to do this with the intent of then making this happen. And it mm -hmm. didn't feel good. And as a result, it didn't perform well. But every time I've made my focus, let's help, let's help, let's help, let's give, let's give, let's give. It's always, always 100% of the time I felt better about it. I've been happier. It's made me feel good, which then in turn has helped me produce better content, which has helped more people, which has helped grow and reach more people. And it's built you an amazing business because the truth of the matter is, is what the more that the more that I've seen that I've been helping people, the more people actually want to sign on and be my clients. I, I mean, I, I help people for free all day long, all day, all day, all day long for a year and a quarter now. And 
I really, and people are often surprised that I'll spend as much time as I do with them. But first of all, it really does just, it does make me happy to help them a lot. And the more I've done it, the more I've actually built my business. It's exactly right. It's exactly right. And it's so funny. A lot of people, they feel like, well, why am I going to help someone for free? Like I've worked hard for this knowledge. It's like most people get, especially in the fitness industry, most people get into coaching because they love helping people. But then all of a sudden, as soon as they, they like make, they label it a business, they mm. feel entitled. They're like, well, I should be making money for this. It's like, what happened to your love of helping? Like, that's why you told me you wanted to do this in the first place. Why is all of a sudden like there a dollar value on this? It doesn't mean you shouldn't be making money. It doesn't mean not to charge for your services, but it does mean that if you lose your love of what you're doing for the sole purpose of trying to squeeze every dollar out of every interaction, this is going to become something that burns you out and tires you out rather than something that you're passionate about and you love. Because when you're passionate about something, you do it because it's your passion, not because of how much money you're making from it. And you can do both. You can make money from your passion. But when your passion turns into something that you're doing solely for the money, it's no longer a passion. Yeah, that's totally true. And I feel like there's this whole school of thought with, with business, with, with doing things like this, that you should kind of keep stuff secret because it's like your secret stuff. That you, like, what are people going what are people going to pay you for if you tell them everything you know? When in reality, that's just not how it works. Nobody's paying for my secret knowledge. I don't really have any. Like, there's, there's no secret. But don't you feel like there's this whole idea of like, I can't, I can't help too much or what are they going to pay me for? Yeah, it's, it's a big concern. A lot of people are like, well, why, how, if I'm going to give everything away for free, what are people going to pay me for? And one of the best piece of advice I ever got was people aren't paying for coaching. They're paying for coaches. Yeah, tell us what you mean by that. So Absolutely. People are not paying for your world-class magical like unicorn stardust program there's (laughs) there's more than enough programs online that people can get for free people can get anything they want for free like a workout programs nutrition plans they're all there they're all online they're very much available people are paying for number one accountability to have someone there to check in with to watch over them to make sure everything is being done properly and Along with that, they want accountability from someone that they trust, from someone that yeah. they feel like they know and they can confide in and that cares about them. They don't want accountability from a computer. They don't want accountability from someone who's doing it just for the money. They don't want accountability from someone that they just that they like that they don't trust. They need someone that they feel comfortable with, and that's going to come from them learning from you and getting to know you uh, from social platforms or from your website or from email newsletter, whatever it is. But that comes from first and foremost, them being able to try your stuff, give it a shot, get to know you, feel comfortable with you enough to then eventually say, Hey, like maybe could we coach, could we work together? And that will only happen from if you give your content away for free and a lot of, and not to mention a lot of people, well, I don't want to give all my stuff away for free. It's like, just because someone's read it before doesn't mean they know how to apply it or they know how to yeah. individualize it for themselves. Just because you put it on an Instagram post seven months ago 
doesn't mean that they remember it's there. It doesn't mean that they know how to apply it. It doesn't mean they know how to extrapolate and individualize it. They, they want you to do that for them. And they will only let you do that if they trust you enough to then to pay you for it. And so giving away all of your quote unquote secrets, which nothing is a secret. We've always learned everything exactly. from someone else. Like it's like to, to think that you've made everything up, like that you're just like a gift from God that like, you're like <laughs> is so unbelievably pretentious. It's, it's like nauseating. But it's like if you to think that you wouldn't give it away for free just so that like because you don't want people to not sign up with you is literally doing the exact opposite of what's going to get people to sign up with you. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of what people pay for and they might not even realize it. And it's certainly a big part of why I appreciate having you as a coach is just to have that confidence that you're doing what's working, that you're that what you're doing is OK, even if you don't see the results yet or if you just if you if you're not sure of your path, because, you know, this stuff takes a long time, whether it's getting stronger or building a business or losing weight, it takes a while. And just having somebody you trust say, like, you're doing fine, like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. It's really helpful. You know, I had a, I had a client on the phone earlier this week and she said, this is where I always quit. She's like right between 10 and 15 pounds. It's hard and it takes a long time. She's like, and I would have probably quit today if I didn't have a coach telling me that I'm doing what I, I'm doing the right stuff. A hundred percent. It's funny. I had a client, I think it was last week where she, she got to uh, 150. It was like the point. And she'd started at 175. And this was about six weeks ago. So it's like tremendous progress in six weeks, like unbelievable yeah. progress. And she had been she had been around between like 150 and 151 and a half for must have been between four to six days or so. And she she was like, I'm getting really like upset that I'm I'm sitting here for so long. And like, this is where around the time where I end up giving up and quitting because it's not working. And I basically went back and I gave all the data points around like how much time we've been doing this, um, how like consistently her weight's been falling and just showed her like, this is working. This is very much working. And I even said, if you stayed here for another six weeks, if you didn't drop one more ounce for six weeks, your progress would still be unbelievably fast. Like it would still be tremendously fast and incredible progress if you just stayed here for six more weeks. Yeah. And it's stuff like that where when you're at, most people would give up, but sometimes having a coach there, someone to say like, you're doing phenomenal, keep yeah. going, this is normal, is because progress is dictated by consistency. That's really what it is. And most people just aren't consistent. And so I think one of the most important jobs of a coach is to keep your clients consistent. That's mm -hmm. it. Like if you can keep your clients consistent or help keep them consistent, mm -hmm. you will have much more successful clients than the person who like gives the, the most scientifically in-depth, amazing training program, but does nothing to promote consistency. Yeah, I think that's huge. And I think that for those of us trying to build business, it's this build a business online. It's the same thing. And we struggle with it is being consistent. Like just like we try and get our clients to be consistent with their nutrition and with their training. At the same time, if you're trying to build a business online and you're not consistently posting, yet you're complaining that you're not doing really well, it's the exact same thing. It's exactly. But I think right. a lot of people, uh, I think a lot of people fall into that. Like they don't, they don't see that connection until somebody points it out to them. Yeah, people are like, people are like, how consistently have you hit your calories over the last week? Uh, two days out of seven. It's like, well, how many, how many days have you posted on Instagram at least two times a day? Uh, 
not since like six months ago. Okay, there you go. That's why it's not great. There you go. You know? Really, really good advice. You know, I've been meaning to tell you this story. I had this guy reach out to me in DMs in August. His name's Chris. I think his company is Active Athletic Training. And he asked me how I built my how I built my account. And so I told him exactly what I just told you, which is what you told me. I told him your advice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I spoke for I spoke your words. And about a month ago, he messaged me and said that that's what he'd spent the past month doing and that he just hit 10,000 followers and his business was doing really well. I love it. That's fucking awesome. Isn't that amazing? That's incredible. Good advice. Good advice. <laughs> okay. Good advice. Okay. So the next thing I want to talk about, it's actually not a specific, it's more of a something I watch you do with me and I watch you do it with other people and I hear you talk about it and I think it's super interesting. And so I'm going to tell you the term and I want you to define it for people. What is it? And yeah, we'll start with what is it. Can I guess what you're going to say? Yes, you can. Are you going to talk about self-efficacy? Yes, I am. (laughs) you. You're a mind reader too. (laughs) I find it so interesting. And I, and I watch you, I watch you doing with other people and I, I can tell when you're, when you're trying to help improve my self-efficacy. So talk to us, what is it and why is it important? So self-efficacy is uh, really, it's, it's an important concept for everybody to understand, but especially coaches. And y- you know exactly how I'm going to go into explaining this because I've explained it before, so many times. But it's, it's similar to confidence, but it's not the same thing. Um, it's basically, it's your belief in yourself to accomplish a certain task. And, and it's a specific task. So it's like your belief in your ability to accomplish a specific task. So if, if you take someone who is, who, who is overweight and they, they want to lose weight and they want to get healthier and they don't believe that they're actually going to be able to succeed, then if, even oh. if they have, can you, can you hear me? Yeah. I just lost you for just a quick sec. Uh, so if you take someone who, who is overweight and wants to lose weight, but they don't actually believe they can succeed, they're far less likely to actually succeed than if you take someone who is in the situation that has to lose the same amount of weight, um, but they are they they do believe they can succeed. They're, and it boils down to the way that one really good way to measure self-efficacy is, is on, on a one to 10 scale. And I do this very frequently with clients, especially if I can tell that I just get a feeling that their self-efficacy is low. What I'll do is I'll ask them to rate. I'll say like, let me ask you this on a scale of one to 10, one being absolutely not. I don't believe I can do it at all. There's no way 10 being a hundred percent without question. I would know I will, I will accomplish this. Where do you fall on that scale? And people who have a relatively low self-efficacy will be anywhere between like one to five. And mm-hmm. with that very high self-efficacy is anywhere between like seven to 10. Um, I've found that, if I can get a client to seven or higher early on in the process, they are overwhelmingly likely to succeed. And by succeed, I mean, be very consistent over the mm-hmm. long term, which will then lead to success. If it's difficult or if they teeter on seven or below for too long, then they're mm-hmm. far more likely to not be consistent and end up failing. Uh, and by failing, I mean, just within that time frame, not forever necessarily, but right, like right. They, it wasn't a good time for them to be able to do it because they, they weren't able to get their self-efficacy up, which is an important point to bring up. A lot of people are like, 
a lot, a lot of coaches get really discouraged if someone doesn't succeed with them. And it doesn't necessarily mean your coaching was bad. It doesn't mean it was great. Like that maybe there's room for your coaching to improve, but also there mm-hmm. are some people just at certain points in their life in which it's not their priority and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And like, that's not a bad thing. Sometimes it takes people a while to reach a point in which like they're ready to, they're like actually at a point where they're ready to prioritize it and make it happen. Um, being able to increase your belief in your ability to succeed is paramount. And one simple way to do that, which we already spoke about was outline where they've already succeeded because we're so often our, our own harshest critic where it's like, I was telling you about that, that, that woman who she lost a ton of weight already. And she was, she had been at the same weight for like four to six days. She was getting really upset about it. Whereas if I wasn't there to lay out exactly all of the amazing things she has done and how incredible it was, and even if she didn't make any more scale progress for the next six weeks, it would still be tremendous. That's a very simple way. I guarantee if we had taken her self-efficacy test before I said that and then after, it probably would have jumped from like a three to an eight. Yeah. So can people work on increasing their own self-efficacy? Is this something that people can do on their own without a friend, a coach, a spouse, somebody like helping them? How can they improve it themselves? They can. It's very difficult if you're not consciously aware of it. And this is, that's one reason why I spend so much of my time and so much of my content focused on number one, helping people be more logical and consciously aware of their emotions and what's Mm -hmm. happening. uh, And also helping people learn how to be um, critical thinkers and mm. not like just take everything at face value, really like being able to dissect something and look at something from a, a critical perspective. And um, you can do it, but it's going to take a lot of understanding in terms of tracking data, tra- like being more logical. And a lot of logic comes from knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it helps to have, for example, it would be very easy. Let, let's say, for example, I was, um, I don't know, let's say I had to build a website. I had to learn coding and build a website and all that stuff. And I didn't know any of that stuff. And it was all new knowledge to me. And I didn't know. I might get super frustrated if I like get to a standstill or like maybe the site crashes or I don't know. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't do this. I'm not built for this. I suck with tech. I'm done. But like maybe it was literally just like one or two things that like were, were misplaced lately. And all I needed to do is make that change and, and it would have been the best site ever. And if I had mm-hmm. a coach teach me like, no, no, look, 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 just look at this. Take, and here, you, here do this. This was amazing. This was really well done here. And all of a sudden when if I was on my own, I would have quit. But I had someone else there to be like, no, look, see how great this is. Myself because he would have increased because they had that knowledge to show me. So I think a lot of it comes from you can do it yourself. But by having a coach, it's, it's easier to have them pointed out for you when you might be in a position of, of literally not being able to know just from a lack of knowledge at that time. Got it. But it seems like it would help. If, okay, let's just use your example. Let's say you, you were building this site and you, so you put yourself in that situation that's going to be challenging and you succeed at it, that your self-efficacy would increase. Yes, absolutely. Right. And so it seems it seems like putting yourself in a situation where you have to master something challenging and being able to succeed at it would increase your self-efficacy. Oh my God, absolutely, for sure. But also, and it's one reason I talk a lot about optimism, optimism versus pessimism. Um, and I'm very careful not to say positivity versus negativity. I like, like specifically mm. optimism versus pessimism um, because when you have a 
an optimistic perspective about more or less everything, then you're more likely to have a higher self-efficacy because the outcome in your mind will always be optimistic. Mm. When the outcome is optimistic, you're more likely to do it. When the outcome is pessimistic, you're less likely to do it for obvious reasons. When you don't think the outcome will be good, then why would you try and move forward? And the example that I always use is if I told you that you had a 97% chance of winning the mega millions. And like, if I was like a wizard and I came out of nowhere and I was like, you have a 97% chance of winning the mega millions. If you go buy a thousand tickets right now, you would go buy a thousand tickets. No, you'd take a loan out to go buy a thousand (laughs) tickets because a fucking wizard just told you that you have a 97% chance. But if I told you that you had a 4% chance of winning the mega millions, if you went and bought a thousand tickets, You'd be like, fuck that. I'm not buying a thousand tickets. Like, why would I do that if I only have a 4% chance? But, and that it shows you, if you believe that the outcome is, is optimistic, you're more likely to tweak, to take a risk, to take action, to make it happen. If you believe it's pessimistic, if it's a negative outcome, then you're not going to do it. So, and that's where a lot of the, like the six, if you believe, if you can have a more optimistic point of view that no matter what happens, there's an optimistic outcome, you're just more likely to do it because the outcome is going to be good no matter what. So is optimism a choice? What do people typically tend towards pessimism? Optimism is without question a choice. And it's important to say, I think a lot of people might hear that and be like, fuck you, like you don't know me. It's like, well, hold on. I'm not saying happiness, like you have to be happy. I'm not, I would never tell someone you have to be happy, but you don't have to be happy to be optimistic. And what's interesting is the more optimistic you become, the happier you'll get. Usually because optimism will then lead to taking more action, which will then lead to more good things happening. Pessimism will then lead to less, taking less action with less things happening and then more negativity and more unhappiness. And not to say that the most, po- the most optimistic person in the world doesn't have moments in which they're unhappy, but I guarantee you the most optimistic person in the world probably spends the least amount of time dwelling on the things that makes them unhappy and spends the most amount of time moving forward towards the things with an optimistic perspective. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. For sure. So look, I can't have you on a podcast without talking about deadlifts. We're going to have to talk about those. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite thing to talk to you about. All right. So let's talk about, let's talk about two categories of people. here. So let's talk about sumo deadlifting for all of this. What's your best advice for a beginner? Things that, things that they should have in mind as they're just starting out sumo deadlifting. Okay. When you're just starting out, lower back soreness is normal. It's okay. It's not, it doesn't mean you're dying. It doesn't mean you broke your spine. (laughs) When you first start deadlifting, your back will feel a little bit sore and that's okay. I remember the first time that I deadlifted, I was in high school and I was right around 14, 15. And um, it was at that gym when I like first applied to work at this gym. Mm -hmm. And I I went into the gym the two two days after I deadlifted for the first time. And my lower back was so sore, but I didn't, I didn't connect it to, I didn't realize that it was the deadlifts. And I remember being very scared that I was having a kidney problem. I was like, I remember standing in the doorway, like rubbing my back, being like, I think in my head, I vividly remember this, staring at this guy, Kevin, my, like the head coach and just in my head, like not listening to what he was saying. Cause I was like, I gotta go to the doctor. I have a kidney problem. And uh, I was so scared (laughs) and, and, and he could tell because I was rubbing my back and I was, I was not myself. He was like, is, uh, is your back all right? And I was like, man, I, 
I'm going to be honest. I think I've got a kidney problem. He was like, didn't you deadlift the other day? I was like, yeah. He's like, how many, he's like, how many times have you deadlift before? I was like, that's my first time. He was like, he just laughed. He was like, dude, you're <laughs> fine. Like that's just normal. Your muscles are sore from deadlifting. And I get, I get this question at least on a weekly basis. I literally got this yesterday, maybe even this morning. Um, it's okay that your back muscles are sore. You don't want your back to be wrecked and it's not going to be always wrecked. Like it's not going to be like that for, for a long time. But when you first start, it's okay to have some back soreness. Um, that's number one. I think, I think that'll like, I think it scares a lot of people when like their their back is sore. Um, absolutely. Give us one more for a beginner. One more for a beginner. I would say, uh, every time before you lift, take a big breath in, take a big, big, big breath in and, and hold it. Like if I was going to punch you in the stomach or if you were like, if you were super constipated, you're like, and you're trying to like push it out, but don't actually poop. Just like breathe like that. Take a big breath in and squeeze before every rep. And then at the top of your rep, exhale, let it out. But don't, don't try and lift weight with an empty, with a a belly that is empty of air, big breath, squeeze, and then lift and exhale at the top of the rep. It's going to, that's, what's going to keep you safe. Super good advice. I, you know, I, once I started deadlifting, I found that I do that. Like when I pick up like heavy boxes and stuff. Right. Without even thinking about it, like I'll go to like move some furniture, and I'll be like, "Oh, I got a brace." <laughs> well, isn't it funny? That's like that's the best. That's the best advice on breathing for weightlifting that anyone could ever give because yeah, innately we all know how to do it. Nobody ever ever goes up to a heavy bag, a uh, suitcase full of full of luggage, and fully exhales before they lift it up. It's, yeah. just, it's not what we do or it's like innate within us in terms of breathing is a very natural thing. Like yes, inhaling, exhaling, but also learning how to breathe and brace. We do that naturally. And, but for whatever reason, when we get in the gym, we start overthinking it. And I've seen people yeah. literally be in the bottom position of a deadlift and they'll just <sighs> forcefully exhale before they, eat and, like, and I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Don't do I that. You that. This was a heavy bag of groceries. What would you do? And they do it immediately. It's like, it's literally just following your in, natural instincts is the best way to breathe. Yeah. But you're right. That overthinking thing makes natural instincts fly out the window. Exactly right. Fear. Sure. All right. So fear let's, is let's, the quickest fear. way to f- fuck things up. Yes. And I remember you telling me the more you're nervous about getting hurt when you deadlift, the more likely you are to get hurt while you're deadlifting. That's exactly right. All right. So let's talk about somebody who's a little more advanced and they want to take their deadlift to the next level. What's your best advice? Okay. Um, I would say, oh, I, I bet you know what I'm going to say on this. Um, <laughs> I bet I do. Aside from the obvious, uh, like the obvious tips about technique, I would say one of the most overlooked, and Enrico and I are going to put a video out on this very soon, uh, in, in improving your speed is, yes. yeah, you knew I was going to say that, right? I knew you were going to say it. Good. I'm glad. Uh, improving your speed is the most overlooked, underrated component of improving your strength and power output. Um, and I know like, You've seen benefit in that recently, especially with your broad jumps, um, mm-hmm. because a lot of people don't realize the equation for force. So how much force you can produce force equals mass times acceleration. It's not just how much you can lift. It's how quickly you can accelerate. It, it will is an equal component in the in the equation for how much force you can produce. Yeah. And people seriously overlook that. And this, I was just talking to Rika about this uh, the other day. In terms of you could take any 
like decently decent football player, high level, like even just like a D three college football player, they could go into any powerlifting meet and win. Really? Like, absolutely. What's that about? Well, think about like, have you have you really looked at tr- like college football players like they're and never mind professional like never even mind that but like college football players have you seen them in in training rooms and they're in their strength and conditioning rooms not so much easy squatting 500 plus easy oh. like no like it's a very very common like and then you go into pro like for sure it's like a lot of these athletes are so unbelievably strong and it's just because they're not only focusing on maximal strength because when you only focus on maximal strength you're inherently limiting yourself and that's what a lot of powerlifters do because they mm-hmm. don't, they, they just like, oh, I want to lift as heavy as I can. And they spend so much time testing. Well, I just want to lift heavy. I just want to lift heavy. And they try and do one rep here and, and one rep here and try and go for that. Yeah. Whereas the athletes that are training smart and training for speed and explosiveness and also strength, but not only testing their building, then mm-hmm. they build strength and they build muscle and they do it over time. And they're really good at it. Whereas the powerlifters let ego get in the way and they only lift as heavy as they can for one rep. They're not actually building anything. It's why you look at like a, a running back or a lineman or, or like a, a tight end or whatever. And they're like, they're jacked. They're strong as shit. Yeah. It's like, they're not doing that from one single rep and working up to a single and then being done. Like yeah. they, they build, they do high, they do a lot of reps. It's not, doesn't mean they do 20 reps, but like, five, six, seven, eights. They build up the strength. They build up the technique. They go into any powerlifting meet. They would dominate. And it's not because they're training for powerlifting. It's because they're just training to be athletic and strong and powerful. And they're also really, really fast. The more you can produce force quickly, the more force you can produce quickly, the more force you're going to be able to produce. And then that's going to obviously help your deadlift. So I would do, whether it's doing broad jumps, uh, whether it's doing speed deadlifts, whether it's doing, even if you want to do box jumps, like kettlebell swings, really fast. I don't mean like 50 reps. I mean like higher, like low rep, heavyweight, five rep, 10 rep kettlebell swings, like really powerful mm-hmm. and fast, super helpful. Yeah. And I know one of the other things you've had me working on uh, in the past few months is making sure that all of my warm up sets for my deadlifts, I treat them as speed deadlifts for all of my light warm ups. It's exactly right. It's, I love that advice. It's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> what was your advice? Well, I think it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> super smart all right before we go here i always like to do a little speed round are you ready to be fast i hope so we're talking about speed all right what's your most annoying habit uh biting my fingernails that's what my girlfriend would say Uh, (laughs) yeah that's that's annoying (laughs) totally agree with her (laughs) she's like stop it stop stop it stop Stop it it now (laughs) ew all right what are you best at deadlifting Me too. <laughs> What's one I'm like really trying to go fast. I'm really trying like, like, don't okay, good, good. Go. That's what it's supposed Cause to I be. almost said sex and I was like, I can't say that. So I'm like, <laughs> and now you said it anyway. <laughs> one thing you want to get better at sex. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I'll be off uh, video, um, video. So I'm doing a lot of videos oh. on YouTube and like, I think I, even if you watch the first video I did with Rico versus the ones that we're going to post later today, it's getting better. Um, and, uh, just getting for me, I think I'm already relatively good at explaining stuff, especially like breaking it down very easy, but I want to get really good at explaining it and sort of like how my captions I can, I'm, I've gotten very good at in my written captions about making them more fun and engaging. 
Yeah. I want to do that with my videos. I want to get much better at like making them much more fun and engaging and exciting so that people who might not be interested in this scientific technique breakdown are all of a sudden interested in it because it's more fun. Interesting. Well, I will be looking forward to that. Although, did you see my comment yesterday on Instagram? I don't know if you saw it. I told you, you got to stop producing so many good videos. I don't have time to watch all of these guys. Rico and, read that out and- loud. I didn't see that, but he, that was awesome. Thank you for that. <laughs> I was like, I, I can't not watch, and I don't have time to watch all of these. So much good stuff coming out. All right. Um, if you could be coached by anyone, dead or alive, on any skill or subject, who would it be, and what would you have them coach you on? I have to say Abraham Lincoln. I don't know what I would want him to coach me on. But I would really just like to spend time listening to him because he was so fucking smart. Like, I just want, just like, hey, just lecture, just talk, because I think he was incredible. All right. Abraham Lincoln. All right. One more question. Let's see. One more question. We're going to go now. We're going to go right here. What is your favorite word right now? Marshmallows. Marshmallows <laughs> is your favorite word. It's, it's, see, you oh, are, you it's use it a lot funny. in your captions. It's you do. What, you use that a lot. It's funny. Like, I have these phases of where I'll go through different words and, and I try and keep it something that's funny. And uh, it's some, a word that I can just throw in at any point in time that will make someone smile. And like, for whatever reason, marshmallows is one of those words that people really like. So I'm on that right now. That's a good one. All right. Where can people find you if they're looking for you? Uh, they want to find all these great videos. I would say YouTube. YouTube would probably be the best bet. And like, I know a lot of people who, who are mainly on Instagram are not on YouTube. But it's been very cool to see a lot of the, a lot of my audience go from Instagram to YouTube. So it's just Jordan Syatt on YouTube, also Syatt Fitness on Instagram, and uh, and that's it. And Google my name, and I'm sure you'll find some stuff. All right, thanks so much. This has been super fun. This has been amazing. This is by far one of my favorite podcasts. Thank you so much. I love you. Oh, all right. Love you too. Bye. Talk to you soon. And that wraps it up for this episode of the Fitness Simplified Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you enjoyed it and that it was helpful, that you learned something. If you have any questions or comments, absolutely please feel free to reach out to me. You can email me at kim at kimschlagfitness.com. If you enjoyed it, I would sincerely appreciate it if you would leave a rating. It really helps so that other people can hear the podcast. Thanks so much for being here in any case.